Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today my guest is Dr. Juan Samper. He is not only our Associate Dean for Academic and Student Affairs, but he is a diplomat of the American College of Theriogenologists, and he's a clinical professor of theriogenology, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Dr. Samper, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here. I am really excited to get to know you better because you are also my boss. So it's going to be a fun podcast, right? Yeah, well, you better ask easy questions <laughs> today. I can't, can't say I'm not a little nervous, but I'm excited because theriogenology is one of the specialties that whenever I put it up on a slide for pre-vet students, that's the word that they don't know what it means the most. So I'm excited that you're going to help us understand that specialty today. Before we dive into that, will you please tell our students how you became a veterinarian? What undergraduate institution did you go to? What vet school? What internships and residencies did you do? So, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm a little bit of a different, uh, you know, path the, you know, that I used for, for my vet school. I am originally from Columbia, uh, you know, and, and uh, in fact, when it came time to apply for uh, veterinary school uh, in Columbia, I applied both to veterinary and medical school, and I got into both, and oh. I chose uh, veterinary school. And do you think that was the right decision? I absolutely. I would, uh, you know, I would not do anything different. If I had the opportunity to redo my life book, I would still do what I'm doing. Uh, there'd be a lot of things that I would do different, but I would not do something different. So your your undergrad and your vet school were international schools. Yeah, we're in Columbia. Yes. And then did you need to do an internship? Yeah. So so when I when I finished veterinary school, uh, then I really you know dairy practice at that time uh, and and still today I think for the most part revolves around. Uh, reproduction. Uh-huh. And the reason for that is because, you know, a, uh, a cow to be able to milk for a full lactation needs to have a calf a year. Sure. So, so the reproductive performance of a dairy herd is, is critical. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, I was always there when the vet was there. I was always looking at cows calving. I was always, you know, with the little babies doing stuff. And and so I got really ingrained into this reproductive science very early on. And, um, you know, so when I finished veterinary school, I, uh, you know, I came to Michigan actually and did, uh, you know, a reproduction uh, internship. It was only six months. And then I went back to Columbia, and I worked there for for a couple of years. Uh, you know, mostly in large animal practice, dairy, and and, and equine practice. And then uh, two years after that, I said, mm, I think I'm going to have to go and learn something else, mm-hmm. or at least learn uh, more in depth stuff of of uh, you know what I was interested in. Uh, so I came to Minnesota, and in Minnesota, I did uh, you know, 
a lot of things. I you know started with a master's, and then after that, I continued on, continued on to do a PhD, and then after that, I did a residency, and uh, you know, and then I became a specialist in in my field. Reproduction. What kinds of topics do you see? What what kinds of themes do we see? What is a theragenologist doing? Yeah, so so a theragenologist really, if you wanted to put it in in terms of human medicine, would be an OBGYN for females, and uh, also it would be, you know, a urologist, if you will, for, for males. So we do both. So yeah. theriogenology is the science of reproduction. And making sure everything works. And it, it encompasses both large and small animals, yeah. Let's talk about breaking down, because th- we call it therio, a little bit more. So you said it could be for males, and it is for males and females, and it's small animal and large animal. But you specifically worked most mostly with horses in the most recent years. Yes. Okay. So what are some of the exciting things that a theriogenologist gets to see with horses? Well, I still, to this date, and, you know, after 36 or 37 years of being a veterinarian, every time that a mare lies down to deliver a baby, you know, that to me is the ultimate miracle. You know, I... I, you know, I'll never get tired of, of watching that. Uh, it is a beautiful experience. Uh, it makes me realize, you know, the wonders of of, of nature. So, uh, so that 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 to me, you know. Now, of course, ninety percent of the times everything goes well. Well, when the other ten percent of the time happens. Mm-hmm. And things don't go well, you know. You, we are very fortunate that you know we can help these horses. We can help the mares deliver when there is you know some kind of issue. Uh, so, so I am you know my my field and my craft is really from conception to delivery, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then looking after these little babies. So, I deal in the areas of uh, you know. Uh, artificial insemination, mm-hmm. I deal in the areas of embryo transfer, I deal in the areas of all kinds of assisted reproductive techniques, but also, you know, the same as it happens with other species, you know, there are some, some of the stallions are not the most fertile ones, so we, you know, are able to help with those things and try to, uh, try to, uh, you know, address issues of, of poor fertility, both in, in stallions and mares. So we said 90% of our births go well. What are some of the other things that we've seen? Because I know you've told me twins is not a great thing for equine. Will you go over that? Because that, I find that fascinating. Yeah, so... Uh, so the mare is designed to have one baby a year. And, uh, you know, what happens is that uh, most of the growth of the babies is done in the last, uh, say, four months of the pregnancy. How long are they pregnant? They're pregnant for 11 months, a little over 11 months. Okay. It's 11 months in a week. 
Um, so uh, because of this, you know, fast growth towards the end of the pregnancy, uh, if you have two babies in there competing for the same blood supply, the same nutrients, the same space, everything, most of the times, you know, they they don't make it. So, uh, you know, they fight with each other, and the end result is that a lot of times both come out prematurely. And a premature foal is, is a foal that will come... Uh, probably as early as 10 days. You know, we don't have the same ability that uh, that human babies have where we can put them in incubators for, you know, for weeks on end. Uh, if you have a baby uh, horse that is born uh, 10 days early, uh, a lot of times it's a baby that is going to be compromised. It's not going to do well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so anyway, so going back to the twins, these babies start to fight for the space, you know, with each other and uh, nobody wins Mm -hmm. and they both come out. Sometimes, you know, there might be one because of position where their position in, you know, the womb of the mare, if you will. uh, Some of them will end up uh, winning the battle Mm -hmm. and the other one ends up. Uh, what we call mummifying, but uh, but you don't know, you know, how that is going to turn out. So the best thing that we can do is diagnose those mares early on in the pregnancy, as early as two weeks. Wow. And then make sure that you deal with, with those situations at that time. And you would see that on an ultrasound? You would see that on an ultrasound, yes. Okay. So a theriogenologist uses ultrasound, Obviously, they need to do yeah. that. What other tools are really important? I think ultrasound is probably the the biggest the biggest thing that we have right now. That has revolutionized uh, the you know the the industry and and the field. Uh, you know, there are some other other things that we use uh, that are also attached to an ultrasound. So you know, we can go and and do in vitro fertilization. Mm-hmm. Well, to be able to do in vitro fertilization, we need to take the eggs out of the mare. Mm. That's done through, you know, also an ultrasound probe that, that we that we use. Um, you know, we do, uh, you know, different techniques for uh, inseminating the mares and, you know, things like that. So- thing is that I didn't have to go to vet school again. You know, yeah. I did not go to vet school before ultrasound and then go back to sure. vet school after ultrasound. Yeah. So how do you do that? Well, that's one of the things that veterinarians have to do. You know, we have to have this mindset of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to engage in those continuing yes. education courses. Yeah. We need to, you know, be, be in that that mindset. Agreed, for sure. So is my understanding that the way to get a mare pregnant would be like a natural way between like a mare and a stallion there together? It would be artificial insemination. And then would the other way be like pulling out the eggs, fertilizing the eggs, and then putting that back in her? Are those the three main ways? So there's, there's, uh, yeah, so, so you, you breed the mare, either the mare gets bred by natural 
the means, you know, you like, they meet, like you they said, get married, you, they, they, uh, have a baby. they make a commitment to each <laughs> other, and you know, and then you know it happens. Okay. Uh, the other the other option is you know putting the sperm inside the mare by artificial insemination, mm-hmm. and, and and that sperm could be either uh, frozen or it could be cooled or it could be fresh or mm-hmm. you know different different ways that we preserve uh, you know stallion sperm. Um, so those are basically the two ways. Now there are other things that we use that are other assisted reproductive techniques. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the probably the simplest one of all of them, is uh, embryo transfer, mm-hmm. where we breed a mare, and then we take the baby around seven or eight days, we take that baby out of that mare that conceived that, uh, that uh, baby, and then we put it into another one. Oh. And Wait, let me make sure I understand this. So we're saying... We artificially inseminate a mare, like the egg gets fertilized, and after seven days, we take that Baby, egg fetus, yeah. okay, yeah, embryo, yeah, embryo out, and put it in another. So she becomes yeah. like the surrogate. She becomes like the surrogate. Wow, exactly. that's yeah. intense. Yeah. Does that often work? Very, very common, and it's probably the most common, you know, assisted reproductive technique. How in, long in can horses. an embryo live outside of a mare? Uh. You know, probably a day, a day and a half, 24 to 36 hours. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. How big is the embryo? Is it like microscopic? It is. It is microscopic. So, you know, it is about one-fourth of a dot of a period oh, in a newspaper. Get out of here. So if you wanted to know what what the size is, is probably 300 microns, which is one-third of a millimeter. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. Why would you want a surrogate? So there's there's several reasons. You know, one is people have a very good uh, mare, and they want to keep her performing, doing sports, mm. uh, you know, that kind of sure. stuff. So they, uh, some other times the mare gets, uh, you know, you want to have more than one baby a year. Oh, yeah, from right. From the mare. Right. So, you know, the... Some other times it's because the mare is too old and she is unable to carry her own foal. But her eggs are still okay? But the eggs are still okay. Okay. So, you know, so those are some of the main reasons why we do it. So it sounds like not only does there have to be like someone who's interested in continued education, but someone who's really interested in science and making sure that everything adds up and goes well together. What other qualities do you think make a student um, interested and successful in the field of theriogenology? I think that dedication, you know, this is not this is not rocket science. I mean, if I was able to do it, I'm sure that, you know, <laughs> half of the world is able to do it if they're interested. Okay. But you have to, one, pay attention to detail. And second, you need to, you know, these things happen on the horse's time, mm. not on your time. Okay. So when a mare ovulates, which is when she releases the egg, you know, that needs to, you know, meet up with the sperm, 
you know, you have to be there for some of these events. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you let it go for a day or two days and you're using some, you know, frozen semen, for example, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be too late. Wow. So so dedication, you know, and, and paying attention to detail are, are probably the two most important things, I would think. What do you think about cloning? I feel like with repro, there are some ties to cloning because we're taking, right? We're taking what was yeah. once naturally created and we are going to now clone it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think cloning is a, a, a very controversial technique. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, certainly in, in a lot of species, it is controversial. I think that it does have a place in, you know, in reproduction. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, there are many animals that have untimely deaths that, you know, could, you know, that had great potential. Um, you know, I think that for stallions, it is almost like a live uh, storage of sperm, you know, because you have, you know, the, yeah, there's going to be very subtle differences between the original animal and the clone. Mm -hmm. uh, but genetically, it's it's almost identical. Mm. So uh, so I think that you have uh, you have that the the preservation of those genetics could be, you know, a lot more efficient, mm -hmm. you know, for for a much longer period of time. Okay. Um, you know, so I mean. Right now, it's interesting. I don't know if you if you saw or not, but uh, the the Argentinian uh, polo tournament, the, which is the biggest polo tournament in the world, uh, just happened last last Saturday. Okay. And the great majority of the animals that were playing for one team were clones. Really? Yes. I did not see that. Yeah. And did that team win? That team won by huh. a long Interesting. stretch. Interesting. Oh, yes. so maybe there are some differences in yeah. there. Stronger yeah. DNA. Yeah. So you know, there, there's there's wow, other things. There's other things too that uh, you know that are important to keep in mind, and that is that the clone itself is the preservation of genetics. There's mm -hmm. a lot of other things that uh, the training, like the environment, and that yeah. you know that animal. Uh -huh. grew up in and all this kind it's of weird. stuff you know it's is, weird. Uh, but but the genetics are certainly there right and that, like you said we're moving medicine forward very quickly a lot of these future vets yeah. could be working with those animals for yeah. sure to wrap up you're the associate dean for academic and student affairs what advice do you have to these pre-vets as they get ready to apply to vet school well, at the University of Florida, in the last uh, last couple of years, we have made a concerted effort to try to not focus exclusively on the academics. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, you know, we need strong students because the program is is not easy. Uh, it's very intense, uh, so we need students with high academics. But, you know, we also see that there are some students that have high academics and don't perform well in, in our program. Uh, 
and uh, we have seen others that you know don't have the highest academics, but they flourish in you know in in uh, you know not just in the classroom but also in the clinics. So so if I was going to uh, give you guys a piece of advice is be well-rounded. Mm-hmm. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't go and get a 4.0 GPA and have absolutely nothing else to show. Uh, understand what the profession is. Yes. You know, understand the struggles that the profession is going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we are not a profession of, you know, uh, of petting you know, dogs and kittens, right. you know, this is, this is, we are, we're doctors Scientists. and we have, we have a lot of issues that, uh, you know, come because of the interactions that we have with clients, because of the interactions that we have with pets, you know, so it is very, very important that we, uh, that we keep an open mind and we are very well-rounded. I want to thank Dr. Sanford for being on the podcast today and chatting with us about theriogenology, about pathways to veterinary medicine, and his great advice for our future students. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.